a situation where you simply can't control the outcome, there's such a, an invitation to let go and see who God is. And today I am here with Sheila Walsh. Say hello, Sheila. Hi, Jessa. Nice to talk to you. Yes, I am so excited. I personally feel like we're friends, mostly because I've read a lot of your books and I can really relate. But also this is the third time I'm talking to you and I'm just like, you know what? Sheila's my best friend. It's totally okay now. (laughs) Yeah, we go way, way back. Way back. Well, actually, and my mom has told me to tell you this story every time I've interviewed you, and I haven't done it yet. But apparently she had spiky hair back in the day, and for like a satire sketch, she was supposed to play you, and she was called Sheila Do the Wash. And (laughs) she just is like, can you tell her that story every time? And I haven't done it yet. So now here it is for all the listeners to see that my mother portrayed you at one point in time in some sort of sketch. So Tell her I am highly honored. Yes. Well, (laughs) we are not here to talk about my mom as much as I adore her to pieces. We are talking about your new book, which came out earlier this month, called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. Can you walk me through the process, like the thought process behind writing this book and why you felt the need to do that? Yeah, Jessalyn, that's a great question. I've written many, many books um, over the years, and I've always tried to be very transparent about my experience of meeting God in the midst of the most broken places. You know, I've talked about my depression. I've talked about being hospitalized for clinical depression. And, and I've, you know, tried to make it clear to people that, you know, if you're walking through some battle with mental illness, it's not a question of faith. It's a question of your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I began to notice a common thread in so many of the letters or Facebook posts I got from women saying, thank you so much for letting me know that I'm not alone. But now what? You know, now I'm, I'm kind of stuck or I'm struggling. So when I sat down and began praying about writing this book, it was clear to me that, that the Holy Spirit wanted to take me in a completely different direction. That this book would be like the eight steps that God has used in my own life to move me forward, that it would be very doable, very daily. And, and so it was, it's kind of, it was kind of an adventure writing this for me, but it was also a great way for me to see the way that that God has spoken into different parts of my life and given me different, to me it's almost like diamonds that you stick in your pocket, but then you want other people to know, hey, if you're stuck with this, if you're stuck with that, here's how we move forward. Mm. So what can we learn through the process of acknowledging, hey, I'm not okay? You know, I think it's a huge relief, honestly. If you think about the culture that we live in, everybody feels like we're supposed to be okay. And I often wonder how many people, you know, drag their their baggage and their burdens into church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever, and drag them home again, because we're afraid to show what's really going on, how we're really feeling, because A, we don't want to dishonor the Lord, and B, we don't want other people to think less of us. Mm -hmm. But to me, if you look at the cross of Christ, 
that is God's declaration that we are not okay. And so from so much of my life, I used to try to pursue perfection as a Christian woman. And it was heartbreaking. And now what I do is I pursue Christ, who is perfect. You know, okay doesn't live here, but Jesus does. Mm. And that means we get to be ourselves. That's so good because Christ has created us each with a unique identity. And if we try to mold ourselves into what other people expect us, we're not allowing the fullness of who he created us to be to come to pass. That's a, that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, every single one of us is created. In fact, my husband and I just had a conversation with our son. He's a senior at Texas A&M. And we, the three of us talked last night about the amazing thing that God has made each one of us uniquely different and that we get to be who we really are. But I think it's only when you actually trust that God loves you. Because mm-hmm. one of the first steps in the book is is daring to have an unedited, gut-level conversation with God where you don't say what you think you're supposed to say, but where you really pour your heart out. And I think to the depth that we're willing to do that is an indication of how much we trust God Mm. and how much we trust His love for us. But when we get it, that we're fully seen and fully known and able to be honest with God, then I think that sets us free to be who He created us to be. Amen. I mean, I know in my life I'm learning if I don't give something to God, something that hurt me or something that betrayed me, how am I supposed to let him come in and provide healing to those broken places? Yeah, and I think the more that we pour out those broken places, it's like it makes more space for grace. Mm. You know, when, we, when we're holding on to those things, it's, it's as if we're taking up space that is really space that God is supposed to occupy. And, and grace, to me, is one of the—I mean, it's something that is unique to Christianity. There are many things in faiths around the world that have similar—you know, other, other religions pray, and they do to But grace and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, we're the only ones who have a God who died for us. Mm. That's so true, and it's something that I need to be reminded on a daily basis. Now, like you, I have also dealt with clinical depression, and I personally have dealt with some anxiety. And I'm in the process where I've acknowledged this with the Lord, and I'm working through it. What is the value in saying, okay, I've acknowledged it, now what, and then taking the step to break free? I think acknowledging it is huge. I mean, yay for you that you were able to do that. Um, Because, I mean, Scripture says, cast all your cares in Him because He cares for you. But then you begin the process of, okay, how do I begin to take steps to move forward? Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the biggest steps is learning how to, I call it, re-wallpapering your mind. Okay. Because, you know, we all have those thoughts that, you know, that come and condemn us or, you know, just old tapes that play in our head. But when we can begin, because one of the things I wanted to make abundantly clear in this book, this is not self-help. Mm-hmm. This is God help. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the Lord who makes changes in our life. But we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And it can be something as simple as writing out a text each day and meditating on it, you know, keeping it with you, letting it, you know, roam around in your heart and your mind. And, and, and the psalmist David said it beautifully. He said, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, be pleasing to you, O Lord. So I, I, I tend to now pay attention to where I spend most of my time. And I think, you know, is this refreshing me or is this draining me? Is this, you know, bringing peace or is it bringing more anxiety? And then really soaking myself in the Word of God, which is alive. Mm, that is good. Something you address later in the book is about how 
moving beyond this can actually lead to new dreams, new visions, new excitement for your life. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? Yeah, and I think sometimes we're held back by the what if questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what if I tried to do this and I failed? What if I step out and it doesn't work out as I thought it would? And and fear sometimes holds us back. But, you know, my, my dad committed suicide when I was five. And my mom was then left with three children under the age of seven. Mm -hmm. And her prayer was that she would live long enough to see all three of us loving and trusting the Lord and settled in our own field of wherever we were placed. And my brother was the final one. to He became an architect and got married. And by then I'd been living in the States for a while. But I flew home to Scotland and I said to my mom, I'm here to dream with you for the next part of your life. And she wasn't quite sure what I meant. I said, here's the deal, Mom. You ask God for these two things, which he has faithfully done. Um, but now, you know, if you still have a pulse and there's not a white chalk mark around your body, it is not too late to find the next dream that God has placed mm -hmm. in your heart. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I've always actually wanted to teach a Bible study. And I said, well, okay, let's put cards in all the neighbors around your house and ask them to come. And she was like, what if I offend them? You know, what if nobody comes? You know, what if somebody comes? <laughs> and we had so many, she had so many what if questions. And I said, mom, let's just step out. One of the things that Elizabeth Elliot told me that a great friend told her when she was dealing with tremendous fear, she said, Elizabeth, do it afraid. Don't wait till you're not afraid. Mm. Do it afraid. Commit your way to the Lord and step out. So I'll, I'll never forget that first night in my mom's little living room in Scotland where six of her neighbors came, and not one of them was a believer. But we sat and opened John's Gospel, and it was amazing. And maybe a few weeks later, once I was back home, mom told me about the first of her neighbors to give her life to Christ. Amen. So it is never, I mean, it's never too late to dream new dreams. And I think, for me, we tend to get settled in roles. We think, well, you know, I used to be involved in ministry, but, you know, I'm a, a mom with three kids, and I'm a, a dad trying to work so hard. I think if you love Christ, we are on mission 24-7. Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, we're on mission and asking God to allow us to be the fragrance of Christ. It's like my friend Sammy Rodriguez said, when we walk into a room, the atmosphere should shift because of who lives in us. Absolutely. I love that you just casually mentioned you're both friends with Elizabeth Elliot and Sammy Rodriguez. I think that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two. I'm also, friends, I'm also friends with you, you know. This is true. We are all fantastic people of faith pursuing the Lord. So, <laughs> one of the big things about fear, at least in my life, is I'm afraid if I put myself out there, God is going to disappoint me. How would you respond yep. to that? I would say that that is quite possible. And I'll, let me tell you why I say that. You know, I've been studying a lot about the life of the prophet Elijah, you know, because he was, as far as he knew, he was one of the only godly people left in Israel at one of its worst moments when King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, are now king and queen over Israel. They've abandoned God, and they're now worshiping Baal. I mean, it's, it's one of the most sacrilegious, devastating, evil times, but they're still Elijah. So Elijah sets up this contest on, on Mount Carmel, which is interesting. Mount Carmel is right near the border between Phoenicia, where the god is Baal, and Israel, where the god is Yahweh. So mm -hmm. it's time for these two gods to come face to face. And you'll remember the story that the 450 prophets of Baal were there, people, children of Israel were there, the king was there, and the prophets of Baal shouted and screamed all day and nothing happened. Then Elijah, one man, but one man with God is a majority. He called out and fire fell. 
Now, Elijah now knows, well, wow, we're going to get a huge revival. Everybody's going to turn to the Lord. Ahab's going to repent. And it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And you find that the very next day, he abandons his servant, and he only has a servant because he's a prophet. He goes into the wilderness and basically says, I'm done, Lord. I want to die. And what I love pointing out to people is, how does God respond where we're like, well, okay, we stepped up, and you did not really show up the way I thought you would. You have that beautiful story of an angel waking Elijah, making him a meal, and then saying, take another rest, waking him again and giving him a meal. God understands our humanity. He understands that some as we know the master, but we don't always know the master plan. Mm. But he is tender with us when we are broken. And, of course, Elijah was given the beautiful privilege um, of on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, of hearing that soft whisper from God saying, I'm here. So what I hear you saying is when we're frustrated with God, we need to take naps and eat more, and that'll work things out? Works for me. <laughs> Same thing. God lo- <laughs> he just he understands our humanity mm-hmm. and that we are frail, and he is a gracious God. And once we've rested, he is ready to, to restore us. Absolutely. I know that oftentimes the times that I feel like I am biggest, under the biggest attack, that's the words I'm trying to say, is when I haven't given my time to the Lord, when I'm just completely afraid, I've overextended myself, and I think I'm doing the right things, but I haven't Mm -hmm. taken the time to truly dwell in His presence. Yeah. And we all face moments of spiritual burnout and disappointment. And the thing is, the enemy would love us to beat ourselves up and then distance ourselves from God. Mm-hmm. But that's not how God treats us. He draw, God draws very close when we are at the end of ourselves. And we remember again what a gracious Father we have. Amen. I know in my life, I feel like the Lord has really shown up as a comforter in recent months, just as I've dealt with various challenges What are we denying the Lord to do when we don't acknowledge our problems and say, hey, I'm not okay? You know, it's interesting because somebody asked me a question the other day that I thought was interesting. She said, now, I bought your book saying it's okay not to be okay. But then in one of the chapters, you're telling me that I need to work together with the Holy Spirit to renew my mind. Doesn't that go against your title? And I said to her, no, here's the deal. It's not about about law or about rules. It's about freedom. Mm. God wants us to be free. And so we're invited into this beautiful companionship with the Holy Spirit. You know, I was raised a Baptist where we loved God and Jesus and we weren't too sure about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Then I went to a charismatic church and seminary where we, we talked about the Holy Spirit all the time and signs and wonders. But at this stage and age in my life, I am so profoundly grateful for the Holy Spirit as a comforter, mm-hmm. you know, as a companion, as one. Most people know Romans eight twenty eight. For all we know, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. But you need to go back two verses and find out that at times when you cannot pray, when you're at the end of yourself, the Holy Spirit Himself intervenes, calling out your name before the Father and praying in accordance with what He already knows the Father's will is for your life. Man, that's amazing to think about because I think Romans 8.28 is one of those verses that we all love to think about because we're like, oh, (laughs) Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. Everything's going to work out. And yet God's plans are not our plans. And the way things work out, you're like, hold up. This isn't what I signed up for. Uh, I'm not sure I would call this good. 
And yet it's in those dark moments when I feel like I'm at my wit's end that I've seen God move in ways I would never Mm -hmm. expect. And it just, it continues to blow my mind. That's so true. Now, I can't remember if it was in this book or if it was in another book I read by you called In the Middle of the Mess, but I think it applies here as you were talking about when you were in the hospital and you were talking about how you learned that the Holy Spirit is in the hallways of the room. Can you explain a little bit what that means? Yeah, it's those moments when you feel as if, you know, life is good, new doors are being opened, and suddenly it's as if a door gets slammed in your face and you're left alone in the hallway. And for me, it was four years ago when I'd just been invited to join James and Betty Robeson hosting Life Today. And there would be a few months before I started, and I was so excited. I loved television. I loved the opportunity to minister in television. But then I began to develop terrible back problems. I mean, to the extent where I couldn't walk, I was in bed. And my husband told me afterwards, he said, I really, I thought you were gonna die. You were Mm. disappearing a little bit more every day. And I remember crying out to the Lord at that point, saying, Lord, I don't understand. You know, it's like you open this huge new door, and now it looks like it's going to be slammed in my face. You know, what if I'm never pain-free? What if my whole world is now the four walls of, these home, of this home? And what I heard back over and over again was this promise, I will be there. Mm. I will be there. And I began to see that so often we want what God will do through us more than we actually want to be with Him, His Ooh. presence. And, and so when I finally signed up to, to go through with this back surgery, which they said they, they had no idea if it would be successful or not, when I was being wheeled in to the operating room, the nurse, who was all kind of, you know, covered up in her surgical garb, said to me, what are you singing? And I wasn't even aware, but I was singing I Surrender All. Oh, wow. Because what, I'd, what I had learned was peace in the not knowing. You know, it's easy when you get through something like that to say, well, you know, thank, thanks be to Jesus, but... What I want people to know is when I didn't know the outcome, I had his peace. Mm. And I found that Jesus is the redeemer in the hallway. Absolutely. I think peace is something so many of us crave. And it's something, you know, Christ is the Prince of Peace. And in the chaos of our lives, I don't think we realize that. We logically understand it, but emotionally we're like, all right, God, what's happening? Everything is chaos. Where is your peace? And I think you brought up an excellent point that until we surrender all, how are we supposed to get peace if we're so frantic and holding on to something? Yeah. Yeah, there's something beautiful about admitting that we're not in control. It can be a hard thing to do, particularly, I think, you know, as, as women, we want to take care of our families, our children, if we have them. And I think men, too, you know, they want to be able to provide for their families. But when you find yourself in a situation where you simply can't control the outcome, there's such a, an invitation to let go and see who God is. You know, mm-hmm. Psalm 46, verse 10, one of the first verses I learned as a child, be still and know that I am God. But when I began to study, I discovered the Hebrew root of be still actually means let go. Mm. Let go and know that I am God. That's incredible. You've actually answered all the questions I have for you. Do you have anything you'd like to add? (laughs) Um, The only final thing I would add is that, you know, I think this world is, is in a desperate situation. And I think there has never been a better time to show how we are different, not by our loud voices, but by our radiant lives. You know, Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. 
which means that we should be living a life that raises questions because we're not like everybody else. Mm. And when we become like everybody else, we become part of the problem as opposed to this great privilege to be bearers of the solution, who is Jesus. Mm. That's very convicting, and I have chills right now. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Where can our listeners find you online? Um, Well, Jessalyn, they can connect with me on Facebook at Sheila Walsh Connect. Um, Instagram, I'm just Sheila Walsh One, or they can go to my website, SheilaWalsh.com. Excellent. And one last thing before we go, can you please pray us out? Oh, I'd love to. Father, what an honor it is that we come in the name of Jesus and that we have a a hearing in heaven. And Lord, I, I ask right now for everyone who is listening to this podcast, Lord, you know them by name. You know their story before they were even in their mother's womb, you know, every single day of their lives. And Lord, sometimes I think we miss the joy of being yours because we're so concerned about getting it right. Thank you that you have made us right with the Father. So I ask for your peace and your grace and your mercy to rest on each one listening. And we thank you in the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's Spirit has been with His people from the beginning of time, and He's still working today. Share the joy of this Christian truth with your children with the Spirit of God Illustrated Bible. Little eyes will love the dramatic illustrations, and eager ears will enjoy the inspiring text that highlight over 40 Bible stories from the Old and New Testament. They highlight God's power and presence. The beautiful cover sparkles and shines and makes it a storybook Bible you and your kids will want to read again and again. The Spirit of God Illustrated Bible. See God's glory at work from creation to your life today. Purchase your copy where books are sold. For more information about the Spirit of God Illustrated Bible, just visit zonderkids.com. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.